and welcome to the Final Girls podcast. This is Anna, co-founder of the Final Girls and your podcast host. If you're new to the show, every season we explore the intersections of horror film and feminism, looking at a particular trope in depth. And in this third season, we are discussing the most elegant and the horniest of movie monsters. In each episode, I'm joined by a special guest to dive deep into a vampire movie or two or three. We discuss the films in detail, contextualize them, and think about what works and what doesn't. And in today's episode, we go from the Blade trilogy to the Bloodthirsty trilogy, taking in the luxurious moodiness of Michio Yamamoto's Bloodthirsty trilogy. Inspired by the gothic stylings of Hammer horror films from the 60s, Toho Studios produced this truly bizarre but very beautiful series of films. The trilogy is comprised of The Vampire Doll, Lake of Dracula, and Evil of Dracula. All three films are independent of each other, but feature mysterious, eerie vampires, dark family secrets, atmospheric big houses, and one of them, a face-removing scene that will live in my nightmares rent-free. We discuss all three of the films, and unusually for this podcast, we don't give away any plot details. So if you haven't seen any of the films in the Bloodthirsty Trilogy, we won't be spoiling anything. But you can get a real sense of what you're in for. I'm joined in this episode by the writer, podcaster, and friend of the final girls, Becky Dark, to discuss the blood, boobs, and mustard-colored sartorial choices of the Bloodthirsty Trilogy. This entire vampire season is made possible with the support of Arrow Video, who bring out the very best in cult, horror, and genre films. Throughout the season, we are recommending a film that we love from their vast collection, which now spans more than 500 titles. The Bloodthirsty Trilogy is actually an Arrow Video release, so that's our recommendation for the week. And it's a beautiful Blu-ray packing in the three films and a ton of extras that contextualize these weirdo films. Alongside our vampire chats, we're also covering select new releases of horror films that we're really excited about, and we will put the spoiler-free versions on the main feed right over here, as usual, and the full in-depth spoiler-free conversations will be over on our Patreon. If you want to, head over to patreon.com forward slash the final girls. And with all of that said, please enjoy our spoiler-free discussion of the Bloodthirsty Trilogy. Becky, welcome back. Thank you. Always a, a wonderful presence on the Final Girls podcast. How have you been doing? Not too bad. Um, I, yeah, I mean, you know, lockdown three has been, whew, it's been real. Um, but staying busy and I feel like there's light at the end of the tunnel now. I had my first vaccine jab yesterday. I know. Yes. Woo. Yeah. Thank you, the NHS. Um, so, yeah, you know, I feel like I feel like we're getting there slowly but surely. Yeah. And I've been, you know, able amazing. to spend lots of time watching uh, amazing 1970s Japanese vampire films. So, you know, plus plus. Well, thank you very much for that beautiful segue into the films that we're going to be talking about today, the the three films that comprise the Bloodthirsty Trilogy. Mm. So because these are probably slightly lesser known films, the most recent vampire films that we've been discussing on the podcast, as I mentioned in the introduction, we're going to keep it 
light touch on the spoiler territory. So for anyone who's not seen these films, they are available. They're out there, edited by Arrow. So you can watch them. And we're going to try to kind of skirt around any any plot details that might be spoilery. Mm -hmm. Um, Mainly because I'm quite keen for people to discover these films. Oh, big time. I am... when you when you sort of suggested doing these and you know they were new to me which like I love I love Japanese horror um I love 1970s vampire films so this really just kind of meshed so many of my key interests um and I was mm. like oh amazing they do them on um Arrow Blu-ray and you were like oh like I can send you links don't worry I was like no no that's fine. Like, I'm surprised <laughs> these aren't already in my collection. Please don't take away my excuse to purchase these. <laughs> <laughs> I would never. So tell me, Becky, have you had you heard of the Bloodthirsty trilogy before? No, like totally, totally new to me. Um, and like I say, mm. in some ways, that's that kind of like I'm surprised like I'm a little bit disappointed in myself because mm-hmm. it really does tick this trilogy really ticks like so many of my boxes um so yeah a very welcome um discovery through you and uh, I had so much fun watching them knowing that this was your first time coming to them um did you have any particular expectations based on your love for 70s vampire films and your love for Japanese horror I expected a lot of big hair um which I got so that was great um the kind of I wasn't expecting them to be so like they get quite creepy and like they they really um you can see some real seeds of the kind of 90s 2000s like j-horror scares and like real imagery in these films like really like creepy smiles um people like women with long dark hair sort of looking up um through their hair sort of like with these you know very dramatic looks Um, plus i mean there was it's the 70s so there was a lot of mustard a lot of brown and a lot of mini skirts. I mean, you know, it's just what a joy. <laughs> so we're kind of going to go slightly by chronological order in these, but there's a lot of kind of interweaving themes or things that are yeah. quite similar between yeah. the films. So let's start with The Vampire Doll, which is the first one in the trilogy and was released in 1970. What did you make of this film in particular? And do you... Do you see it as a vampire film? I do. I do see it as a vampire film. Um, it's it's funny, really, because there's there's parts about it that I feel like could be more of a almost like a haunted house movie, but there is enough kind of um, like sort of bloodletting and um, more of the kind of like gothic floaty robes and um like detective stuff like i feel like some of the the more sort of um like van helsing side of things comes through and really sort of brings that that classic like vampire vibe um in some ways i think the vampire doll is maybe the least vampire-y of the three um but i do think there's enough kind of uh, like obvious you know 
return from the dead, lots of pale makeup, lots mm. of hanging around by gravestones. The you know, I mean it's I mean it's absolutely it's absolutely a vampire film. And what did you make of the atmosphere of it? Oh my I loved it. I loved it. Like I love the way that these films look they've almost got that kind of um i mean the the arrow transfers for one thing are really beautiful so if people can get hold of the blu-rays mm. i'd highly recommend it it's got that sort of um that's yeah that sort of soft focus um beautiful sort mm. of hazy visuals lots of kind of mist people are familiar with the film um Haosu. um it's got some of that sort of like those really sort of bright um, and like pastely colors and sort of big dark stormy skies and um like sort of mysteriously lit houses um atmosphere wise you know i thought it it really kind of it ticked the boxes in terms of it being sort of gothic enough like they they mention in the film at one point that they live in like a western style house so even though it is japan um you know with it being mm -hmm. in the 70s there is obviously in the um like aesthetics and the production design and also the plot like there's um a lot of kind of western influence on it uh, you get the a couple of the older characters who dress in more um sort of traditional japanese like kimono or kind of more like rural dress but um the younger characters are all in kind of you know mini dresses and like roll necks and stuff you know um roll necks and blazers very 70s um so you know you get that you get the kind of modernity you get the gothic side of things with the sort of big western style house and the fact that this woman this sort of older lady has got like a a sort of deaf and mute butler kind of servant who plays you know that very sort of classic sort of vampire film role of just sort of being threatening in the shadows it's got that um that sort of i mean these are kind of contemporary with like the hammer films a lot a lot of the sort of hammer mm -hmm. Drac dracula films and there is an element mm -hmm. of that um kind of influencing the look i think and and the oh absolutely yeah, like I think it wears its its hammer influence mm. on its sleeve. Like it feels very much not to reduce it to like a copy or anything like that, but you can tell that the the kind of the hammer horror formula or their um kind of contained um kind of set pieces and the gothic -y influences that you mentioned before and kind of even the way that a lot of the horror elements are told through the dialogue and the story as opposed to necessarily emphasizing the gory bits yeah. um except for very choice scenes and kind of i don't know if you had that feeling but while i was watching it i was very intrigued because i was like oh this is kind of moody this is kind of like the plot for psycho basically <laughs> yeah. because it's a lot about you know the sister coming to look for her brother with her boyfriend and it's like basically essentially what happens in the second part yeah, of psycho as well time. and and kind of this you know these family secrets and a lot of stuff that isn't that isn't talked about and this kind of atmosphere of distrust that they build up just through and i'm not sure you know maybe this is a little bit as well of of kind of both a, a distance from the culture which i'm not familiar with i'm not familiar with mm. japanese culture um so there's a certain kind of 
difference and also the difference of time like this is very much it's contemporary to the 70s it's it's filmed and yeah. made in the 70s so it, there is also like a removal um because of that and it's like okay this is quite formal very gothic-y it's a type of brand of gothic that i'm not familiar with that i haven't mm-hmm. seen that often where there's like the british gothic and the the american gothic is something that we've seen a lot and read a lot in books so there's always that weird mm-hmm. eeriness almost like a little mist like you mentioned before kind of covering not that this is at all in the transfer but i almost felt the vibe of like oh there's a mist going on in my living room and in the tra- and in the film as it's happening. I love that. Does I that love that. Yeah, it completely makes <laughs> sense. I know exactly what you mean. Um, yeah, I was I was really into the atmosphere of them. And what did you make of, you know, because, and also then, you know, this is again, not really spoilery, but the, we do get to see uh, the, vamp- the vampire, the titular vampire doll, uh, Yuko. And I, was, I, was, I wasn't scared, but I was unsettled by her um what did you make of her in the way that she you know that she's portrayed in the film um i loved that it was a like female vampire kind of like at the center of this story because the the next two lake of dracula and evil of dracula goes much more back to the kind of um traditional uh sort of dracula story where it's like one main male vampire at the center and then there are some kind Mm -hmm. of peripheral like female vampires like sort of brides of dracula whereas Mm -hmm. with the vampire doll it really does center on this um central figure of um yuko is it yuko yes um who uh is is this sort of yeah you know the the vampire doll um she is extremely beautiful like I love the like (laughs) I aspire to this kind of like makeup coverage (laughs) the like the kind of blue white it's like it's like the perfect like Halloween she like she's she's nailed it she's like dewy and yet like kind of blue and obviously undead but just so beautiful and I think she like they're possibly using like contacts for her as well and obviously she's got that very sort of long absolutely jet black hair Mm -hmm. and again it's always Mm. kind of falling in front of her face and um she's she's sort of looking up through it she's got that very uncanny smile um that she does when you know she's about to do something super evil um you know she's yeah i mean i found her like really kind of um yeah like really captivating as a as a baddie hmm. there's also something about the way she moves which is almost like both ghost-like and kind of very yeah. physical. Because I don't know about you, but at the same... Because I I knew... um I hadn't seen these films before either. I just knew of them by name. And when she... When Yuko appears on screen, I genuinely was thinking, is she a ghost mm-hmm. or is she a vampire? Mm-hmm. I was like, because there's something about the way the actress moves in the shot, which is so ethereal and so kind of... um feels out of this world even out of the world of the story um but again because it is kind of more um you know because it's the 70s because the you know the special effects are not super out there um it's not like she's turned spiraling or anything there's a kind of 
corporal figure to her and the way she grabs the knife and grabs and attacks um you know the some characters <laughs> is in a film that's kind of so slow and lingering and atmospheric almost comes as a as a shock yeah definitely and there is there is a point quite towards the end where she almost does move in that sort of um like like ringu kind of way that she's almost like jerky and she mm. moves she moves very fast and it is yeah it is a kind of it's uncanny but you're right it is ethereal and and it's with the gothic side of things as well you know she is dressed in this sort of flowy um 1970s gown white play you know plain white with these sort of huge bell sleeves and there's a bit where she's sort of seen like running across a garden which i thought was very um sort of you know bram stoke like lucy in bram stoker's dracula like it's it's absolutely drawing from so many of those influences what did you think about this image of of the vampire in kind of in the not daylight exactly but sort of twilight and surrounded by this greenery that i I don't know. I, I don't know. What did you make of it? Because I found it very yeah, evocative. Same. Um, and this is something that does sort of run through the whole trilogy, actually. They're, they're always kind of being like victims being drawn out of the houses um, to or the, or the mm -hmm. kind of schools or the hospitals to meet um, the vampires kind of in the woods. Um, and uh, it's kind of spoken about a lot in terms of folklore. Um, you know, there, there. Mm. It seems that there's almost an already kind of an existing understanding about vampires, and mm. that it's just kind of part of folklore and and sort of local history. They do seem a bit more kind of rooted to like um sort of nature and there's there's almost um especially with the first one actually with this idea of the um mm -hmm. the the brother uh, sorry the sister and the boyfriend sort of coming from the city out into the country um and sort of being uh confronted by as you were saying you know all these sort of secrets and and there is almost a folk horror kind of element to it that you know they've come from the city and now they're suddenly surrounded by countryside and vampires and uh, are a bit kind of you know out of their depth and i really i've i agree that there's something very evocative about having the vampires kind of grounded in this like this nature setting no I, I think you're absolutely right and and it's something that i think really moves in a totally different direction in the second film in lake of dracula which was released the the following year in 1971 and i find it really interesting that you mentioned something a little bit earlier that vampire doll really centers on this thread of a of a female mm. vampire or a female possessed by the the spirit of a vampire in some way and the lake of dracula's it has it wasn't called lake of dracula in japanese in the original japanese uh release but it kind of is just a story of dracula it, it isn't kind it? of is yeah you know uh yeah a sort of <laughs> mysterious box turns up and then um uh, a kind of local um he's like he's like the kind of owner of the sort of um like 
boat rental and kind of fishing shop, isn't he? Um, and mm-hmm. he he's almost the kind of um, like Renfield character who who sort of takes in this coffin and is you know becomes like um, one of the victims. Um, and then Dracula starts sort of popping up at the tops of staircases and sort of looming down on people and that. Um, I mean, yeah, definitely Lake of Dracula is much more, I think, traditionally what we are familiar with in terms mm-hmm. of that narrative. And what did you make of this second installment in the Bloodthirsty Trilogy? Then? I liked it. I I think... <laughs> um, so I think the the three films, for me... Um, decrease in their effectiveness. I was personally the biggest fan of Vampire Doll. I thought Lake of Dracula was really good. And there's then this kind of gap of then like three years before Evil of Dracula. And there's such a, uh, like a stark contrast between like 1970 and 1974. Um, The sexual politics is very, and like the gender politics is very different. There's a lot more boobs, for example. I'm significantly more boobage in the significantly in the, in more just evil like, Dracula, like so many nipple close-ups, and I, I'm not averse to it, Anna. You know, I'm not mad. I'm not. Um, but not, ma- like, not mad about the nipples, not at all. No, never. Um, but you know, it is. It does kind of act as a nice, like, tangible um, example of like the difference between Vampire Doll and Evil of Dracula. Um, Vampire Doll is much more kind of. Um, sort of subdued subtle um quiet slow whereas by the time you get to 74 and evil of dracula um there's just a lot of like boobs and fight scenes which again you know it's fine but um you get lake of dracula in the middle and i think it it does it sort of treads that um that kind of line between the other two uh mm-hmm. it's still got that more kind of uh, quiet, slow, sort of rural, um, misty kind of atmosphere. Um, it's like it's beautiful to look at. There, there's an opening scene which has got these like these kids kind of playing down by the shore of the lake. Um, this super wide shot, and it's got this beautiful kind of pastel sunset and and these silhouettes of these little kids and like i mean what an opening shot like it's so beautiful um and then that's like quite quickly contrasted by the what we would recognize i think as more kind of like traditionally gothic vampire film imagery of you know the kind of misty old house and a scary old man and um mm. a, a sort of um creepy lady playing a piano and all of that kind of thing um (laughs) and what did you i wanted to ask you um what did you make of we've mentioned that this is pretty much a a sort of kind of retelling of the dracula story but what did you make of dracula himself who's played here by sheen kishida and i'm sorry if i'm mispronouncing the name in any way um the mm, the draculas mm. the, the the draculas in these i think personally um are a little uh, a little weak um that mm. certainly in this one he plays him a little more like um i thought a little more like frankenstein than he does dracula like he's very kind of oh but he doesn't have any like 
he doesn't have any swagger for one thing um and he just kind of grunts a lot and he's very stiff and uh, i don't know i didn't get i didn't get a lot of smolder from him anna um I mean, not enough smolder for to be Dracula. No, he's not. He's no Frank Langella, is he? I mean, well, who is? Who is? But listen, <laughs> why'd you have to bring up Frank Langella? I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I should have. I should have trigger warning you. It's trying to keep this above board. <laughs> keep dragging me into the gutter. I have my my Frank Langella bug looking at me. Oh, there he is. No, I have to turn him <laughs> around now because it's, it's triggering. <laughs> But um, I find it really interesting that you meant there's something, he does grunt a lot. He doesn't move very smoothly. No. I don't know if you notice, it's just like there's not that much movement from Dracula and also not from the camera. Like it's a lot of very intense zooms on his face yeah. instead of letting him glide yes. through the scene. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And when he does move, it is, um, it's more kind of stiff and sort of stompy more mm. kind of frankenstein-esque than sort of glide gliding you know like like dracula um we may more expect to do um there's i mean it's funny you mentioned about the quite sort of um static camera work um and just like lots of kind of dramatic zooms i feel like a lot of the work is done by um dramatic close-ups and like amazing lighting like there's 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 some mm. like really kind of classic gothic um gothic like horror film lighting like lots of kind of um it's it's black in the background but you know there's like a spot just like completely on their eyes um or there's um there's one scene it's like a kind of deathbed scene where again it's just absolutely sort of pitch black in the background with just the the bed um like brightly brightly lit um and i thought that the the kind of lighting and a lot of the close up work was was doing a lot of the heavy lifting <laughs> Hmm. Interesting. And it's also it also has a lot more special effects. Like it it goes for a bit more gore. Mm. Um, which again might seem a little bit dated now, but there is some there's a there's a smidge of gore, which definitely do, isn't present in Vampire Doll, which is a lot more like you mentioned, kind of ethereal, and there's a threat, and the threat is kind of in, in the ideas that it conjures. And and particular images as opposed to any any uh, any blood or excess kind of body horror, um. But what did you make of those? And without saying what mm. the scene is, I think we both know exactly what scene I'm thinking of, where there is someone who is smushed. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> someone yeah, smushed, is smushed. Yep. <laughs> Smushed in 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 quite um in quite a long <laughs> scene. <laughs> the smushing went on for a while. I feel like there's elements of smushing in all three of these films. There's there's some there's <laughs> some really interesting kind of red threads that run through this trilogy. One is uh -huh. one is the smushing smushing. Um, like fair enough, it does happen to varying degrees. Um, and this is probably the most dramatic example <laughs> of it. Um, but also I don't know if you noticed, but in in all three films, a rat gets thrown from off camera. <laughs> 
to like land at the feet of a screaming woman and it happened in the first two no! and I was like I but it's not. just so funny because it's meant to be like you know somebody goes down to a basement and to add extra mm. peril obviously there are kind of rodents and creepy crawlies or somebody goes into an attic same thing um but every single time the rat it's not like they kind of emerge from a hole or run out from like under a bed or something. It literally gets like thrown from off camera by somebody who's obviously the rat wrangler <laughs> who has then had to like throw it in and then it lands in front of a woman who's then like, ah, a rat! <laughs> it's amazing. All three. Oh my God. I genuinely did not notice that. I thought you were going to say the hand smushing. Hand smushing. Yeah, which I also. think also appears in all three yes, films. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Because there's there's very specific close ups of a hand being smushed and kind of disintegrating <laughs> yeah. into goo. Yeah. And These like... are quite cute words for essentially body gore. <laughs> yeah. It, but they, they're good. Like the. The. Um, the sort of end moments of the vampires throughout the trilogy mm. are whoo, dramatic um like there's a lot of um almost almost to kind of like parody level like you think they're dead and then they come back around just for some more kind of <laughs> like you know in buffy the vampire slayer well, you know, the the like iconic kind of like over egged death mm -hmm. scene. Like it's a bit that. Um and mm -hmm. and yes, you're right, in all of them, when they then are gone, um, it's like this amazing they obviously figured out the mechanism of how to do this effect where they've got mm -hmm. like I don't know, like a rubber glove or whatever, and they've like filled it up with air and then they just like slowly like suck out the air. So that is <laughs> so good. It's so good. One thing I also really liked about the kind of the the more gory um side of things is so obviously with stuff um like hammer, um there's that mm -hmm. really um specific look to the blood, that very kind of red red like almost technicolor blood mm. whereas i thought in these yeah. films um it was much more kind of realistic and you know it it didn't mm. have that sort of um that hyper realism and that that sort of almost like campness to the gore it was much more sort of mm. it looked like these people were genuinely bleeding and i i was impressed I think you bring up a really interesting point actually it's like yeah with all the smushing which might seem a little bit dated the blood effects like both the there's there's a scene that i'd love to for us to talk about in the third film in evil of dracula where there's quite a lot of splatter of blood mm. and and throughout both in vampire doll where there's just like elements of blood um kind of on on a knife and on a, on on the vampire doll herself and in lake of dracula as well when they're bleeding and when they're being bitten both the consistency and the coloring of the blood seem very grounded yeah and agreed. there's there's i think there's that element of like eeriness i mean we know it's a film okay fine that that goes without saying but there is, like you say, there's something that takes you out of um, some older effects-heavy horror films, even if it's a simple, if, as simple as effect as mm -hmm. blood. I mean, again, I know nothing about special <laughs> effects, so I'm not 
diminishing the difficulty (laughs) of producing like realistic looking blood um but like that technicolor blood that you're talking about like it can take you up because they're like oh okay the consistency is off it's too you know too technicolor and here there's that element of like when it's rolling down someone's Mm -hmm. chest or neck or hands or even just kind of you know caked on their mouth it's a bit like oh that that looks a little bit too real agreed this and and because there's not that much that many effects anywhere else in the films and they kind of feel so um haunting it kind of it kind of really worked i think that's you're absolutely right that's the element that really Mm. worked for me in terms of Mm. creepiness of the entire trilogy Yeah. yeah absolutely i um you're right i think i think grounded is a really good word for it and it does sort of keep you in the moment of the 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 horror of you know being attacked by a vampire there's something that we haven't talked about in the in lake of dracula which i found quite interesting i'd love to hear kind of what you thought about the way that vampires are explained as a as a genetic disease yeah um yes it's almost like a um like a sort of inherited thing is that right Mm. um yeah I thought I thought it was good actually I kind of like that as a um as a kind of as an approach to the law of vampire in this universe and again it seems to kind of root it in that more kind of folkloric side of things you know this this idea of them almost being known of like it's not it's not a kind of Mm. it's not an absolutely like there are points in the films when um (laughs) the men usually will be having a sort of slightly um exposition heavy conversation about what's going on um but it's it it's often quite matter of fact like there's never too much sort Mm -hmm. of um you know people being incredulous about vampires and stuff it's like oh yeah like you know there was this story of um dracula who or there was a story of a it's like a a it's a white man isn't it who kind of crashes off the coast and um Mm-hmm. bites a local teenager and they both then sort of come back to life and then it does sort of come down the bloodline as it were um and again when that's being described and sort of explained it's just like oh yeah cool <laughs> like yeah that sounds that sounds that tracks <laughs> let's kind of move on to talking a little bit about evil of dracula which uh, oh that's that's a very telling laugh this film this film (laughs) (laughs) go off becky dark go off (laughs) i don't dislike it i thought it was really fun i thought it was really fun but mate like of the three this one is it's fucked up there's (laughs) where to begin well shall we begin at the Mm -hmm. fact that it's set at a school and there are a lot of older male teachers being very handsy with the young female pupils oh yeah it's a very bizarre meld of the old all girls boarding school subgenre of horror love very special place in my heart for it and vampire films (laughs) 
and then sprinkled on top like some mid 70s early 70s like gender politics that you were talking about earlier yeah so uh i mean (laughs) how, how to approach this there's one bit there is one bit where the girls are playing tennis and the new teacher goes down to talk to them and they see one of the other teachers off in the distance and they're like oh no it's creaky misty it's creepy mr yoshi and um we don't like the way that he's looking at us all the time and like lurking around and just like won't stop looking at us he's creepy and then the new teacher says well you can't blame him you're all very sexy it's like Yep. Hmm. So much I to back there. <laughs> it's not going to pass any, <laughs> you know, politically correct tests, is it? It's not. It's not. And, you know, I mean, there's also the possibility that by the end of the film, the teacher and one of the pupils are like 100% hooking up. Um, uh-huh. But it was 1974, and uh, you know, I have I've tried to not let that side of things um, diminish my enjoyment of the film, mm-hmm. um, especially when there is such quality falling over throughout. <laughs> <laughs> Rank your falling over moments, oh, Becky. <laughs> well. There are there are three key falling over moments, and when I say uh-huh. when I say quality, I mean terrible, terrible falling over <laughs> moments. Because obviously, because because it's the nineteen seventies, and these are Dracula mm-hmm. films. There's a lot of mm-hmm. swooning, and there's a lot mm-hmm. of fainting, and people being sort of knocked out and falling over. Mm-hmm. Now, I thought mm-hmm. that Vampire Doll and Lake of Dracula both had pretty good falling over acting you know it's a it's a skill i'm not saying that i could do it but i can appreciate it in other people who are good at falling over on screen now i don't know what happens in evil of dracula but they'd obviously used their budget in the previous two films for the good falling over actors because in this one they will just like awkwardly sit down it will be like oh no i've been hit on the head oh i'll awkwardly sit down or oh no i'm overcome by the terror of my roommate vampire i'll just like oh oh i've oh i'm on the floor oh. now it's honestly oh, no. I, i'm falling amazing <laughs> yes I, I wish i wish the listeners could see your beautiful reenactment that was perfect <laughs> they just kind of like there's just a lot of sort of awkward sitting down when they're supposed I don't know I don't know why this is what struck me so much with this film like I just feel like so much of the kind of subtlety and um like like sort of (laughs) this film it doesn't have any subtlety it's not very sort of misty and quiet and it's like oh it's 1974 now cool right well boobs let's have it yeah boobs um falling over and pervy <laughs> teachers yeah and I, I i have to admit like the the idea of pervy teachers is you know terrifying uh especially at an all girls boarding school that may or may not have vampires involved um <laughs> a pervy teacher who may or may not be a vampire is also quite a frightening proposition mm. so like i quite like the idea of it um but i don't know did you feel this way or how did you experience it because i felt it was quite, even though the previous film 
like of Dracula is quite exposition heavy. It felt quite thrilling. Mm. Like there was a mystery to unpack. Whereas I didn't feel that much of a of a connection to the mystery of evil of Dracula. I yeah, I agree. I think I experienced it in a very similar way. I think with both of the previous ones, um, there really is that element of kind of detective work and you know they're having to go around and talk to the local man who works at the garage or they go to speak to the local doctor who did the autopsy on you know one of the dead women or you know and there's this kind of um piecing together of uh the the sort of story of what's happening whereas with evil of dracula i I think you're right it's much there's much less kind of tension and mystery um Mm. and a lot more sort of like just badly choreographed fight scenes yeah i can't say i disagree unfortunately there is however a lot more well we have established a lot more boob Mm. but also quite a bit more blood than any of the previous films what did you make of like the the horror uh, the horror elements of evil of dracula one of my favourite sequences of the whole of the three um, is somebody gets their face cut off and then, like, worn. I mean, you know, as a huge Silence of the Lambs fan, this is the sort of thing that I like to see in my cinema. And um, I thought that was I thought that was great. And at first I was like what is happening here? And then I realized what was happening and I was like, hello. (laughs) (laughs) When the person whose face gets taken off just gets like a close-up of just a knife slicing into their chin and then going like (laughs) down the chin. Yeah. Like slicing a sourdough. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Um, and then, like the the actual kind of like fitting of the face onto mm. onto the woman, like that was again like sort of uncanny, like this sort of jerky movements, and again that sort of dark dark hair sort mm. of falling over it, which I I think is probably um, like quite a sort of practical choice because obviously you mm. know that sort of hides some of the the effects and stuff. I think it, like it just worked really well, and yeah, mm. I mean I definitely appreciated the step up in the in the more kind of like physical horror of things. And I think you mm. mentioned or like you um, suggested earlier about the bit where the the girl is like literally like she just you got sort of a close up on her and she just keeps getting like sprayed with more blood. It's just like <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. And there's also a close up of this of this body, uh, naked a naked woman's <gasps> body, uh, because you know seventies, yeah, and just kind of just a splatter of blood, yeah, kind of from the from the the face slicing, yeah, um, the blood is splattering. I was like, oh, that's that's quite a bit. It's quite a bit of blood. Yeah. I mean, it would be to expect it if someone's face is being cut off, but also. <laughs> kind of dramatic considering the the bloodless approach to vampires in in the previous two films or you know except for choice scenes yeah definitely you know you you mentioned it earlier like the the use of blood in the previous two is much more kind of like you know somebody's been bitten and there is like a trickle there's just like a trickle of blood kind of down their chest or um you know it's much more kind of um 
sort of quick and then look away. Whereas with this, it really did feel like it was kind of lingering on those more kind of like blood soaked moments. Mm. Um, but because it because it being, you know, 74, obviously you've got to have lots of boobs and lots of nakedness. But there's this there's this amazing framing that happens in that moment of the the lady naked on the sort of slab where mm-hmm. um in the foreground there's like a candlestick or something which just very um conveniently covers her privates and mm-hmm. so you've got like legs if you sort of, sort of um look up from her feet you get sort of feet legs candlestick tummy boobs and then there's also something in the way of her face so like you don't see the face cutting you don't see her bush but you kind of see everything else it's amazing <laughs> The Bloodthirsty Trilogy prioritizes breasts and you know what? Okay. Yeah, okay. That's, yeah. That's that's what they're going for. <laughs> and the, the other thing with, I think, the way that they've kind of, it's not gratuitous boob, Anna, because what we find out in this one is that they're all being bitten on the boob. So you never just yes. see boob for the sake of boob. You're always seeing boob, but also with the kind of plot-based bite mark. You're saying it's plot-based boob? Plot-based boob. (laughs) The hashtag will start trending immediately. (laughs) Plot-based boob. That's a narrative device that every screenwriter should have up their sleeve, right? (laughs) If there's ever a monster or a vampire, like, forget about next. Bite him on the boob. Yeah. Make it plot-based. Yeah, and then you can justify a close-up of a woman's nipple. (laughs) (laughs) Completely out of context with blood running down the breast. (laughs) Was it... um? Was it John Carpenter or Wes Craven who said something about, um, you know, he'd have blood in his films and he'd have nudity in his films, but never the twain shall meet. Um, That is not a consideration for this. It's like, no, we're having boobs and blood and everything else just all on screen at once. But no bush. You dip one in the other. Well, you know, if they got to make a fourth film, maybe we would have gotten some bush. But (laughs) it's not not the 80s yet. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> for the reboot for the reboot <laughs> well um i'm interested in what you mentioned at the beginning of our chat there's something really interesting that you mentioned about um the the kind of the hair the hair horror of it but mm. also about um that you see the seeds of the explosion of j-horror in mm. the 90s and i was wondering kind of what are those seeds that you see that kind of you you then see decades afterwards in in j-horror films i mean there are moments in these films that i feel could almost have been lifted from um you know ringu or um the grudge um those are those are the two that i'm most familiar with um battle royale as well like there's that moment um when they kind of flash back to it's a very it's a it's a very sort of brief but iconic moment from the film. They flash back to one of the winners of the previous games and she has just sort of been brought back to um, like the city, you know, the, the real world. Um, and she's she's holding the doll in her lap and she, her face is like splattered with blood and she's just got that very uncanny smile on her face. And I feel like there is, there, there's almost a, a J-horror smile that sort of sinister 
knowing mm. um it's like the smile is all in the mouth and not at all in the eyes you know and there's there's definitely moments in these especially in vampire doll has got the most creepy smiling um and moments like in lake of dracula with the girl sat at the piano you know you just see her back um and the very you know she's wearing a, a pale dress very long black hair um and she sort of turns very very slowly and then all of a sudden you get sort of a a, a very sort of um intense close-up of her face um in, there's a lot of intense eye work like I just feel like all of this is something that you know is being very is used really effectively in this trilogy um but kind of like imagery wise is could almost be you know plucked from any of those sort of big 90s 2000s boom of the j-horrors before we we start wrapping up are there you mentioned that you can see kind of threat between all three of the films and uh, like like i mentioned before these films are not really connected to each other narratively mm. you know you can watch them in whatever order you want um we watch them chronologically but they're you you can kind of dip in and out into any one of these films yeah. but uh, what threads in between them do you see that kind of run through all three of the films either you know visually or thematically or in terms of how um how vampires are presented kind of what do you see that they have in common um there's so i think visually um the, like the houses and the buildings are very very similar in all of them they are as I sort of said earlier, quite sort of Western Gothic in their style, considering, you know, these are very obviously Japanese films. Um, but there is that that influence of, you know, Hammer and Western Gothic kind of running throughout. So the houses are big and hulking and looming. There are um sort of staircases sweeping staircases and sort of mezzanines that vampires can sort of lurk at the top of and and look down at you um there is this idea of kind of nature running through them whether that be um the sort of lakeside or the woods um the this kind of idea of of folklore and um sort of local legend is really grounded in that i really liked um there's an idea of sort of like dreams and and sort of repressed memories and things running through these films as well um things being dreamt that they the characters couldn't possibly know and so they assume it's a dream but then they realize actually it's a memory from when they were a child or um it's like some kind of hypnosis or something like that and i found that really interesting that kind of more um sort of psychological side of um like vampire films the sorts of you know dreams and sleepwalking and all of that which i find you know really atmospheric mm. um and like loads of big hair and mustard and brown and mini skirts, you know, because it's the seventies. 
Hey, I love I love a mustard miniskirt. Oh. Mustard anything. Oh, there's so like there's a lot of obviously because it's the 70s and obviously because these are vampire films it gives a lot of opportunity for roll neck jumpers because oh, if you're yeah. not being bitten on the boob you're being bitten on the neck and so you mm-hmm. need something to cover that um and you know the like the fashions are just like in the second one um like i could write an entire essay on the like nylon nightwear from these films (laughs) there's one bit where a a a woman has been she's she's been hospitalized and she sort of comes to like there's a lot of like falling over banisters and balconies in these films and in in lake of dracula a woman comes to in hospital runs around in a an incredible like sheer baby blue sort of baby doll dress and then falls over a banister to her death like you know i mean these are the sort of stylistic um flourishes anna that Mm -hmm. you just don't you don't get in any other decade and that's why i think that you know the 70s and vampire films just really like they really complement each other you know also dracula just like in a black in a i want to say he's wearing is it a white or a black turtleneck white turtleneck under a black suit so at times he does look a little bit too like priest like um but yeah i mean like just very suave incredible Mm -hmm. kind of um like uh sort of like almost like a paul weller-esque haircut you know Mm -hmm. sort of just just all like pushed very forward onto his face but there's jack dracula i have to i have to reiterate He's just, he doesn't have enough swagger. And I, you know, he's not, I didn't find him alluring in these films. Mm. Um, I I wanted a bit more, like he's just, he's just a bit sort of grunty, you know? Like you said, he's not Frank Langella. <laughs> I mean, what are you going to do? Well, quite. Becky, conscious um of your time, I just wanted to ask you a final question. And it's, you know, we've, we've skirted around spoilers and and plot details Mm. in order to encourage people to um to maybe give these films a chance and would you recommend contemporary horror fans or vampire film fans to seek these films out yeah definitely definitely um i think if you are a film of a film i think if you are a fan of like 70s horror of 70s vampires of japanese cinema japanese horror um if you're a fan of hammer and you want to see something that's kind of um contemporary from another part of the world um and also like they're super short they're all like i think the longest one is 88 minutes so they're all sub 90 minutes um you know i've just this week i've like for three days in a row I just chucked one on after work like they're just so perfect really easy to watch they look amazing um they're a lot of fun and you know when they are at their best they're like really kind of um atmospheric and stylish and there were a couple of moments that like with that sort of um that uncanny side of um the kind of the japanese horror aesthetic like they i found them pretty creepy so yeah i mean like big yes from me 
Amazing. Um, Becky, as always, thank you so much for your time and for your insight and for the hair puns. Um, and where can people <laughs> find more of your work online? Oh, well, thank you for having me as always, Anna. I mean, just what a joy. And um, thank you for introducing me to these films. Like, I'll definitely be um, delving into that DVD box set again before too long because I genuinely loved them. Um, so where can you find me? I've actually just started a Patreon. Um, so that is somewhere that people can support my podcasting and my writing work if they would like to. Um, obviously, I know that with the shit show that is the world at the moment, um, my is an uh, kind of uh, an appropriate way for everybody to be um, supportive of content but if you do have any spare pennies that you want to throw my way um, that would be amazing and um, I'm kind of you know there's a few different tiers as there always are and I'm sort of doing little roundups of my work and and some kind of early access stuff and some exclusive material and stuff so you can find me at patreon.com forward slash bunny dark um, and I'm also bunny dark on twitter and instagram beautiful and that's it for this episode of the vinyl girls podcast you can find us on apple Podcasts, spotify or wherever you get your shows if you can do leave us a review on apple Podcasts. takes 30 seconds really helps a lot you can find out more about what we do on the final uk. subscribe to our weekly newsletter and follow us on twitter instagram and facebook at the final uk if you can, do head over to our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash the final girls where we will be posting bonus episodes and more goodies. You can also follow Becky on Twitter at BunnyDark and I am at AnnaBeDemented. Thank you for listening. And next week, we're going to finish off the 90s decade proper with Dustal Dawn and we'll be entering the noughties with 30 Days of Night.